Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And it's good to have you guys back today as we continue our series of following Jesus, as we're following the life of Christ through all four Gospels. I hope it's been uh, at least uh, challenging for you. I mean, how can you follow Jesus? You don't know what he did, so hopefully we've learned some things and we continue to grow through them. Today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, uh, kind of halfway through Jesus' uh, Galilean ministry, this is the second year of his, his ministry, kind of the height of uh, his influence and all of that that was going on. As we begin, that of course we have our memory verse, Matthew 16, 24. Hopefully by now it's starting to really stick, but uh, let's just say it together a few times and then we'll roll on into the message. So here we go, three, two, one. Then Jesus said to his disciples... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. All right, again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. Oh, you did so good. And then the computer just decided just to give you one less chance. Very good. Awesome. The two things that we need to do, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and then the third thing, of course, is follow him. It's, uh, we want to follow Jesus. So let's talk about that today and how that works. Oh, there we are. The Galilean ministry. This is going to be our third time and uh, third week in the Galilean ministry, and our computer's going to be a uh, stinker with me today. I apologize. But uh, this is the still 8028 is where we're at. Jesus uh, was in Capernaum last week where he finished up there. Remember, he, say, he uh, healed a, uh, a, a centurion's servant uh, at long distance, which was kind of cool how we did that. He didn't have to go to the guy's house, but uh, healed that. And that's where we ended this thing. So the next thing we find Jesus doing is he leaves Capernaum and he goes down to a little place called Nain and he heals a, uh, a widow's son. And uh, this is an interesting uh, story in that uh, it's the first time we see Jesus actually raising someone for the dead. So Jesus leaves Capernaum and he walks down through the roads and he gets down to this little uh, town called Nain. It's at the foothills of a little mountain there. And uh, he had a large entourage, it says, with him. By now, Jesus was gaining a lot of influence. And people were following him, some to learn his teachings, many because they liked the show, and some because they needed healing. And he ends up going into this little town, and there is a funeral procession that is going through. And it is a tragic thing because you have a widow and back then didn't have a social network or a safety network for people to, to rest on to. So you have this widow, and it was family would take care of the widows. Well, she had an only son, and her only son had died. And the town was all out there, and they were, of course, crying, who's going to take care of this gal? You now really be the, the synagogue or the people would have to hopefully take care of her. Basically, it was a life of poverty and all that. So she had this, this double wound uh, that she had and so she'd be in the front of the procession and then right behind her they would take his the, the young man's body and they would put him on this uh, kind of a, a, a big platform and they would have guys that would carry the body across and have a sheet over the top of him and anybody who touched that uh, the bear which they would carry the body on those people would be unclean and would have to then uh, stay outside of the, the community for, for a whole week before they could be ceremonially clean again. And uh, then followed behind that would be all the rest of the community. And if you saw one of those processions go through, if you were a decent human being, you would stop and you would join in and be part of the procession. 
Well, Jesus sees this as he's walking into the town, and it says uh, that, uh, well, verse 13 there of Matthew 7, uh-oh, I don't know what happened, but, but it says that he had compassion on her. As, uh, and I'm going to stop pushing buttons. I'm going to let you guys fix that while we're going through that. But he says that he has compassion on, on this woman. And he's moved with compassion. And so he goes up and he says to her, woman, don't cry. Which was an interesting thing to say because she had just lost her son. And now she was going to have, you know, only grieving the loss of her only child, which is horrible. But now she also has this life of poverty to go into. And so for him to say don't cry is seems almost sense, uh, heartless. And on top of that, knowing that the, the, in that time, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, oftentimes would see these processions and they would stop the processions and they would say, don't cry because it doesn't do any good. That's, that's what they would say. And you're like, wow, that's harsh. But see, Jesus is a little different. He said, don't cry because he was going to do something about the source of the pain. And he goes up and he touches the, the young man and, and he allows him to, to come alive. And the, the young man he, he's alive again. And the woman, of course, she has her son back. And there was great joy. And, and everybody was, was filled with, with, uh, with wonder. They was like, wow, because Jesus had not to this point overcome death. But he proved that he could. And we'll see that again. In fact, they go on to say uh, that, that, man, God has come to help his people. Right? They saw what he had done, but they wondered, is there a prophet amongst us? What, what has God done? And, uh, oh, my computer. They were all filled with awe. And a great prophet has appeared amongst us. And they said, God has come and he is to help his people. And that is, uh, they were mostly right. They saw what Jesus did. They accepted what he had done. But they, they questioned maybe who his identity was. Was he just a prophet? Now, remember, up to this point, Jesus had been very clear with people. I am God. I am the Messiah and I am God. But they're still wondering, still wrestling, who is this guy? Well, word of this, of course, gets out that Jesus had healed this person, and uh, it, it was pretty amazing. And so the next thing that we find is that the word gets down to John the Baptist, which is his cousin. And uh, John, uh, he sends up these two delegates to go talk to Jesus and to say to ask him a very important question. And that question was this says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This is an interesting question coming from John, because let's remember, uh, John was Jesus' cousin. Like, Remember when Mary went down to Elizabeth, and John jumped in Mary's womb, and all, in Elizabeth's womb, and, and all of this, and growing up, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, he has this great ministry, he's out there in the desert bringing people to faith, right? Baptizing them, getting the kingdom ready for the work of Jesus, the Messiah. He knew the, the, the miraculous history of how Jesus was brought into this earth. When Jesus showed up, John said, well, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? He, he tells his disciples, follow this guy. He baptizes Jesus, and when Jesus is baptized, baptized he was there and he saw the sky open up and God the father said this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased in him listen to him right he saw the Holy Spirit come upon him John would be pretty much in Jesus's camp and so for him now to ask are you the guy why would he do that well let's remember John was in prison and John was expecting a Messiah that all the rest of the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah who would come in and destroy those awful Romans and, and to put 
you know, put them under his, his foot, right? He was, that's what they thought the Messiah was to do. And here was John preparing the way for the Messiah. And he's the prophet of God. And he was close to Jesus. And he's rotting in a Roman prison because he had the audacity to tell Herod that it wasn't okay for him to marry his sister's wife. And I imagine he's like, okay, I hear that you're doing these things, but are you really the Messiah? Because I'm still in prison. I don't know if you understand that, cuz, but I'm still in prison. I mean, if anybody deserved to, be, to have a miracle, wouldn't it be John? And Jesus' response to him was interesting. He says to John, listen, yep, I am. I'm everything that you said I think I am. I want you to go back, tell, he tells the disciples, go back to John and to tell him, Look what you see. You have the blind see, the, the, you have the deaf are hearing, right? The lame people are walking, right? The poor are fed, and the dead are raised. I'm doing all the things the Messiah is supposed to do. Don't worry, John. I am your guy, but blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why would he say that? Because, John, I'm not coming. I'm not going to set you out of prison. You know, sometimes Jesus doesn't do the things that we think the Messiah ought to do. And it makes us stumble, right? Especially for us as Christians, we do all these things for God and we're like, Lord, I, don't I love you? Don't I serve you? Aren't I my faithful servant? Why are these bad things happening in my life? He's still Lord and Savior. And sometimes we understand who he is, we just must understand his, his work. You know that Jesus' ministry was beginning, and John was correct. He had to diminish. John had, had served faithfully, and it was getting ready for his time to go home and to glory. And Jesus knew that. And if Jesus would have let John out, it might have been distraction from his ministry. In fact, it's interesting to think that John may have been in prison and left in prison, not because he had done anything bad, but because he was doing everything right. But God was still good. And there are times in our own lives, we, don't we ask Jesus this? Are you really the Messiah? When hardship comes to our life, when we feel stuck in prison, we feel abandoned, where are you, God? He's there, and he knows. And then John goes on, or Jesus goes on to talk about how great John is. You know, he, he says some amazing things about John. After he sends his disciples back to them, he says, I tell you, among all those born of a woman, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And he goes on, he talks about how great John, John's not in prison because he'd done anything wrong, that Jesus thought low of him. This is important for us because sometimes we misunderstand Jesus just like they do. Sometimes we think that God, in order to be God, has got to fix everything in our life. He came for something much, much bigger. And know this, that John was going home and he would be even made greater. That God had not abandoned him. Although for a human perspective, it may seem like it for a while. And so John heals a widow's son and leaves, or Jesus heals a widow's son, raises him from the dead, and leaves John in prison. And he goes on, he continues on his, uh, his ministry, and he's invited uh, to uh, have dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. And while he's there, because that was a, you know, uh, you have a big wig in town or whatever, and Jesus teaches the synagogue and all of this, and the Pharisees at this point were still trying to figure out Jesus. A lot of them wanted to kill Jesus because he was healing people on the Sabbath and doing those things. But it was still polite and kind, so, so Simon invites him over for dinner, and he, he has, he's reclined around this, this little table. And uh, as he's there, um, you know, the, uh, they would kind of, the, 
the honored guests would have a place at the table, and then the Pharisees would kind of leave the doors open because you have this, this wise teacher is going to be there. And so anybody who didn't have a ticket to the table was welcome to come, but they were supposed to stand around the outside and just listen in, right? They didn't get to participate in the meal, but at least they could be part of it. And I understand that their tables were a little different than ours. Like we have chairs, they had cushions, and they'd kind of lay with their heads kind of close to the table, and their feet would kind of stick out kind of close towards the wall. And so Jesus is there, and he's talking, and he's having this thing, and then something interesting happens to him. And it says, a woman in that town who lived a simple life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we don't know how she had a sinful life. It's church history and tradition is that she was a prostitute, but it really doesn't matter. The fact is that she was a known sinner, and here she is in a righteous guy's house, and she shows up in that house, and then with, with perfume, and then she does something crazy. And she begins to pour the perfume on Jesus' feet and, and wash it off with her hair. And, of course, Simon looks at this, and he's thinking to himself, if Jesus knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let this sinful woman touch her. He was scandalized. For starters, if she really was a prostitute, that perfume would have been kind of a tool of the trade, right? This is something that you would think is not going to be used for any type of holy thing. Beyond that, typically women back then would cover their hair as a sign of, of humility, respect, to have her hair out and to wash Jesus' feet with it seemed just a little over the top. And that's getting into Jesus' personal space. This is awkward. And of course, the house begins to smell pretty and all of this. And Jesus can tell what Simon is thinking. And he tells this parable. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Let's just say that there's a banker, and he's got some people that, that owe him some money. And he's got a guy that owes him $5 and a guy that owes him $5 million. And the guy that owes him $5, he calls him in and says, guess what? I'm canceling your debt. $5, you don't have to pay it back. But then the other guy, the $5 million, he brings him in and says, also, I'm, I'm canceling your debt. You don't have to pay it back. He said, which of the two is going to love that banker more? And Simon's like, well, the one who got the millions of dollars forgiven. And Jesus says, hey, that's exactly true. That those who have been forgiven little love little, and those who have been forgiven much love much. And to realize that that woman had experienced forgiveness in the Messiah. And Jesus says to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. And that she would be saved. And she is redeemed right there. Of course, this scandalizes even more. Who is this guy who can forgive sin? Well, Jesus goes on from that point, and he continues what we're going to call the second Galilean tour. He goes out all around Galilee, all that whole region, and he's out preaching and teaching, and he ends up uh, by the side of, of the Sea of Galilee. Is there. We find in Scripture that he had a group of women that were also part of the entourage now, one of which is Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene was, was part of that, but there are others. You have a, a gal who was the, uh, uh, the wife of Herod's chief of the house, make, took care of the house, I mean some very prominent people, and they were financing Jesus' ministry, which was pretty awesome. And so he goes around into the community and he's preaching the good news of Jesus as because he is Jesus, his good news, right, from town to town. And uh, he had the 12 that were going along with him. Now, the next thing we find Jesus doing in one of those towns is he casts out demons. And so we see a, uh, a big challenge there. And uh, whoop, let me go back one slide. I hope I didn't do this too fast. Jesus casts out the demons. Now, when he's casting out demons, we have the first public 
denial or, or confrontation of, of Jesus with the Pharisees. Because Jesus is casting out these demons, and there was, there's this uh, one de- man shows up, and he is, he is uh, mute, and he is uh, deaf, and he you know, has this demon in him. Jesus casts out the demon, and people are there, and they are completely astonished, right? And they're like, wow, uh, who can do this, this awesome thing, right? In fact, that was the next slide that you saw, right? This is what they're saying. Is this the, the son of David? And that is another word for Messiah. That was the, the son of David was common use for Messiah. So the people were seeing Jesus cast out the demons. They're like, well, maybe the Messiah is with us, which is great. And he, that is true. He is the Messiah. But the Pharisees were like, no, he's not the Messiah. Because remember, he's telling people to break the law because he's healing people on the Sabbath. So he can't be the Messiah because we can't understand how he would violate our rules and still be God. And so then they say, no, we, we're not just going to misunderstand who Jesus is. We're going to malign Jesus, right? We're, we're going to say bad things about him. What do they say? He is not the Messiah. He is empowered by Beelzebub. That's the devil, right? That's how he's doing this. And so Jesus is, doesn't have, you know, he's not from God. Let's stop thinking that. He's just doing a few good things to trick you, but he's really satanic. And they start to get people turning away from Jesus, in fact, Jesus' own family, they start showing up and, and are saying to other people, they're like, hey, uh, he might be crazy, right? So let's, so just be nice to him because he might be crazy. That's his family coming in. They misunderstood, they knew who he was, but they misunderstood exactly what he was going to do. And Jesus responds, he says, hold up. That makes no sense to say I'm from the devil because I'm fighting against the devil, it makes no sense for the devil to fight against himself. A house divided against itself can't stand. I'm not from the devil. That's stupid. You can see all the good things that I've done and all the prophecies that I'm fulfilling from your very prophets. He said, you've got to be careful, though, because there are certain sins that, that you don't want to, some lines that God doesn't want you to cross. He says, you can blaspheme me, right? I'll, I'll forgive that. You can blaspheme the Father. He'll forgive that. But don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit because that's not going to be forgiven. So be very, very careful. And so uh, we have that first public dismissal, like the, the Pharisees are now turning against Jesus and now starting to malign him, misrepresent him to other people. But Jesus goes on. He has his family. He goes to another town, and his family uh, shows up, and, and they want to talk to Jesus on the outside. Now we already know that they were trying to get Jesus back to maybe have him calm down because he was talking about being the Messiah and God and all these things. And though he had all of the miracles to go with it, oh yes, and the virgin birth that Mary should remember. But they were worried about him because when you start doing these things, you start getting some powerful enemies and other people around you start to look down your nose. We're like, well, you're, your son's Jesus? Isn't he the guy who claims to be God? They wanted that kind of to stop. There was some pressure. So they show up to go talk to Jesus and there's so many crowds they couldn't get in. And so the disciples say, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus, knowing this, he says, well, let me say, who are my mother and brothers? Well, he goes on to describe exactly who his, his other family is. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Do you hear both of that? That we have to hear it. We have to understand what Jesus has to accept what he teaches. And then we also have to practice it. You have to have faith and faithfulness. And how is a person brought into the kingdom of God? How are we saved? By God's grace. He's the one who saves us through faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that faith has got to have expression. This in the New Testament teaches all the time. 
that, that we have to believe, right? That's an act of the will. It's a trusting of God. Even when we have doubts, we continue that. We, we confess, we identify with Jesus, we follow him, we say, I'm with him. Even when we know we're not a good representative of him, we still stick with him, right? We, we uh, repent, which means that we turn towards Christ and away from our other ways, deny ourselves, right? We, we follow him in his ways, right? We were baptized, we were discipled, we continue to grow in him, all those expressions of faith. Faith and faithfulness are both very important. You'll see later on in Jesus' teaching why he, in fact, he, he teaches about that next. But we get to be part of his kingdom, and he identifies personally with us. And then Jesus begins to teach in parables, and by this time, he is right by the Sea of Galilee, maybe in Capernaum, maybe on the side, I, we're not sure. But he teaches these parables, and, and these parables were designed to reveal the truths of the kingdom, but to conceal them from those who weren't ready to hear it. And he tells uh, you know, several parables. He, he starts with one about the, this uh, a farmer who goes out and he sows uh, seed on, and it falls on different kinds of soil and some seed grows and, and, and uh, it's great. Some of it you know, is taken by the birds before it has a chance to grow. Some starts to grow and gets choked out by weeds. Other hits, starts to grow and gets choked out by the rocks. And he tells another parable about how the kingdom of God is like a guy who goes out and, and plants a seed. And then, you know, you look at a seed and you're like, that's not going to do anything. But then all of a sudden, spontaneously, who knows when, it starts to sprout and grow. And then the guy figures out that it's harvest time and he goes out and he harvests it. And he had nothing to do with it. The seed grew before itself, right? He teaches, he says the kingdom of God is like a, a, a guy, a farmer, who goes out in the field and he sows good seed and then starts to grow. But then he has an enemy who goes out and spreads seed all the way through his field. And, and he's got weeds that are out there. And his servants come in and are like, oh, no, what are we supposed to do? And the farmer says, well, don't worry about it. He said, just let everything grow. And then when it's harvest time, we'll send out the servants and, and you'll harvest, you'll take all this, the, the weeds out first and then they'll take all of the good grain and we'll get to keep that. But they'll throw all of the weeds into the fire, right? So he tells these parables and like some of us, we're like, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the disciples were, were doing the same thing. And they said, why are you teaching about the kingdom in these parables when we don't understand? And Jesus says something to them that I thought was fascinating. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. This is a prophecy of Isaiah that is fulfilled, but Jesus intentionally told parables. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm disguising these things for those who are outside the kingdom. They don't understand it yet, and they can't. Now, let's keep in context why Jesus did this. He had already told very clearly, multiple times, I am God and Messiah. He didn't disguise that from anybody, right? He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He had done all the stuff that, that would show people who he is, and he got accused of being a demoniac. Some people will just misunderstand Jesus no matter what. Some people will just misrepresent him no matter what. And Jesus said for them, you could show them everything and it wouldn't matter. And so the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom are not for them. But he said to the disciples, it is for you. And so he just explains the parables to them. And he goes to the house and he says, you know that seed that falls on different soils? He says, that's your heart. And some people have hard hearts and the gospel's never gonna grow. And some people have receptive hearts and it starts to grow, but then as soon as it hits something hard in their life, there's rocks in their life, they hit something difficult, they lose their faith. And other people, it starts to grow. They have good hearts, but then this, the busyness of life comes in and crowds out the gospel, and then it dies. But some people have good hearts. And the gospel grows, and it produces an abundant harvest. 
And he says, you know, there's the, the, the seed, the, the soil of, of our life, is, is our hearts is really important. And he goes on to give other prophecies or other parables about the kingdom. Then he goes on to say, the kingdom of God is like, it's like a guy who buys a, a, a field and he has got a treasure out there. He stumbles across a treasure in a field and he sees it and he's like, what? So then he goes and he sells everything he can to go buy that field because it has a treasure on it. And once he buys a field, he gets a treasure, and now he's like ridiculously rich. Or another guy, a, a, a guy who owns a, a, a jeweler store, and then you see this man come in with this giant pearl of great value, and he sees this pearl, and he's like, wow, that is really worthy. So he sells everything else he has so he can go and buy that pearl because it's worthy. Jesus explains that the kingdom of God is a valuable thing to them. And he asks them, do you understand these things? They said, yeah. He said, well, blessed are you, if you, if you continue in this and you follow after me? In fact, he said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they do hear. It's interesting for us and it's important to say, if we want to know God, we have to choose to understand him on his terms, who he is, and he will reveal himself to you. That's how he works. But if we stand in opposition to God, we shouldn't be surprised that there are some people you can explain the gospel to them until they're blue in the face. You could have Jesus show up and raise a dead guy to life and they'll still think he's something entirely different than what he is. But let's remember the kingdom of God is also like that seed that's pulling in the soil and you don't know how it's going to grow and sometimes it just grows. And sometimes we plant the gospel and we share it with people and we have no idea the condition of their heart. And sometimes it might be months or years later, the seed of truth begins to grow in their life and we get to see someone come to life in Christ. Isn't that awesome? All right, so Jesus does these things and then he teaches these things and he's like, you know what, I'm tired of being here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go across the lake. And so he's at the sea, uh, the lake of Pernium. So, he's, so let's say he's at Pernium and he's gonna go uh, across the sea to this uh, area that's basically Gentile territory. And this makes sense because he had lots of crowds around him. And how do you get rid of crowds? You go to where the Gentiles are and there's lots of pigs. So most people would leave him alone. So he gets in a boat and he says it's nighttime. So it would look like this. And this is the Sea of Galilee and he's going to go across it. And so that's what it would look like. It's about that far. And he's like, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they get in a boat and they start going across the lake, right? And uh, that was going to be... Uh, and kind of a simple ride. And of course, it was nighttime, so Jesus falls asleep. And then a giant storm comes up. And on this sea, apparently the storms can get bad, not very often, but when they do, you can get 10-foot waves. And if you have a little boat, that's terrifying. And ships are sunk there, which is why you have the wreckage of little ships all the way through the Sea of Galilee. And so the disciples are there, and they're terrified. They're like, oh, and this is only like a six-mile ride, but it was terrifying and they wake jesus up and they say don't you care we're about to die and jesus gets up and he says hey why don't you why don't you stop wind just be quiet right and he does and uh, as he he does that um do get my next slide maybe there you go no that's the wrong one but that's all right so he says to them listen why you have so little faith why do you have such little faith? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what, what I'm about this? And the disciples are like, what? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? Right? It blew their mind. They've been with him all this time. He is God. And they understood that. They understood his messiahship. They understood his power. 
But I think sometimes God still blows our minds. We still have these little misconceptions about who he is and what might limit him. Jesus is unlimited in his power, and they got to see that. So then they show up on the other side of the lake, and a demoniac meets them. And actually, there's two of them we find in Scripture that do meet them, but one apparently was more uh, memorable than the rest because two of the Gospels only mention him, right? But they had these, these demons, and where are they hanging out? They're hanging out in the, uh, in the tombs, right? Because that's where these demoniacs like to hang out. And they run up to Jesus, and they say, Who are, like, why are you here, son of the Most High God? Did you come to torment us? And then they begin to beg Jesus. They say, don't torment us. Don't throw us into the void, right? Don't send us there. And then Jesus is like, all right. And so he casts the, the demons into a bunch of pigs that were there, like, and 2,000 pigs run down a cliff, and they die. So we, and before they do that, though, Jesus asks them, he says, what's your name? And the demons inside said, we are legion, which means an army, because we are many. Now, I don't know spiritually how you could be go much lower than to have a whole army of demons inside of you. But I think it's fascinating that an army of demons surrenders without fighting. They, they go to Jesus, they know his power, they understand exactly who he is. And Jesus is able to cast them out with just a word. And at least 2,000, because then you have 2,000 pigs who commit suicide, uh, swinicide, and they run off. And here are the cliffs that they would have run down and jumped into the water to their piggy demise. Well, after this was fun, the man goes to the, uh, the demoniacs. They were like, what? This is crazy. And they were healed. And, and then the people who owned the pigs were like, this is awful because we just lost our huge investment. So they run back to the town and they tell everybody what had happened. And the town comes out and they say to Jesus, go away. You're bad for business. They didn't realize. I mean, here's these two guys that were filled with demons that are now okay. And so one of the demoniacs says to Jesus, please let me come with you. I want to, and Jesus says, no, you need to go back to those people and explain who I am. Go testify. And so then he gets back on his boat and he goes back to, to Capernaum after all of that. And when he's there, uh, there's the synagogue leader. And we saw where the synagogue was, how close it was to Peter's house. It would have been hard for this guy to find Jesus. And he goes to Jesus and he begs him. He says, you've got to heal my daughter. She is on her deathbed. And, and terrified and he knows i mean now know this that the pharisees didn't like jesus but this guy doesn't care because when your child is hurting you'll you'll go and they went to jesus and begged him come to my house please heal my daughter and jesus said yes i'll go and he's like yes so jesus is walking through the streets of capernaum and there's lots of crowds and they're all bumping around him and there was a woman that was there and she had heard about jesus and his healing power but he never thought jesus would talk to her See, she had spent her entire life savings trying to heal a medical condition in her body that was embarrassing and difficult, and she saw all the doctors and no one could help, and she was now destitute out of money and without hope. And she thought, if I can just get close enough to Jesus just to touch the hem of his garment, maybe then I will be healed. That's desperate. And Jesus is walking through the crowds, and he's going to go heal Jairus' daughter, and all of a sudden he feels power leave him, which is an interesting thing in Scripture to think, and he stops he says, who touched me? And they're like, how can you say who touched you? There's crowds everywhere. Everyone's touching you. He's like, no. Somebody touched me, and they had faith, and they were healed. And this woman is terrified because she had touched Jesus, and she knew that moment that she had been healed. And she said, it was me. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. How awesome is that? Well, this takes time, of course. 
And it took enough time that Jairus' daughter died. And so as he comes up to, to, to the house of the synagogue, he sees people already outside mourning and crying and all of this. And you're like, Jesus, you were too late. Have you ever felt like Jesus is too late? And Jesus is like, she's not dead. And they're like, she's dead. And he's like, no, no, she's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. And of course, I can't imagine the synagogue leader, how his heart was broken. But Jesus says, I want to go see him. And so see her. So he goes upstairs and he kneels beside her and, and says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. And he's like, get her something to eat. Sometimes we misunderstand Jesus' timing. And I think Jairus did that too. That he has authority and ability to heal anytime, anywhere, even when it's beyond our comprehension, even when we think it's past the 11th hour, after the 12th hour, when, when it's so far over, over time that the game is done, Jesus is not done. Because he doesn't play by our rules. I love that about our God. And so... He has his healing, and then he decides to go back to his hometown, the unbelieving Nazareth. Remember the last time he was there, they tried to throw him off a cliff? Yeah, so that wasn't a good reception. But he still goes back, and he shows up there, and, and he's so amazed at the fact that they were just not believing. They, 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 they had him in the synagogue, and they were all amazed, and they're like, wow, what awesome teaching. Look at all these things, right? But then they also were at war with themselves because they're like, but isn't that Joseph's son? Don't we know his sisters and brothers? No. He might look fancy, but there's something not right about it. He can't be the Messiah, because the Messiah can't come from our town. There's no way. Jesus was astonished by their lack of faith. It's like, I grew up with you. Like, you know consistently who I am. And so it says he couldn't do any miracles. Why? Well, because they were, every miracle he would have done would have been misunderstood, misconstrued. Every single one, they would have thought, well, they're... You're not, we just can't accept you as Messiah. And so it said he healed a few people and did things like that. But at that point, he recognized that those folks, they had so much delusion in their heart and their mind that they just could not receive. And so he left. And so after he goes from there, he gets uh, uh, past there. He says, uh, oh, here we go. That they, <laughs> Where did this man get these things, they asked? What wisdom has given him? What are these remarkable miracles they're performing? This is when they, they understand, like, he's done these great things, but even when Jesus does great things, it's not the fact that Jesus doesn't have given us evidence of who he is. Sometimes it's just that we fail to allow ourselves to see him who, as who he is. Jesus leaves this and goes on a third Galilean tour, but this one was different than his other two. This time he takes his 12 and he says, I'm going to now send you out. And notice the, how discipleship works. First Jesus went out and he let the disciples see. The second time, he had them go out, and they did some of the ministry. Now he's sending them out in pairs of two, and he gives them authority. He says, I'm going to let you do that I have done. You can cast out demons now. I'm giving you authority to do that. Now, remember, this is before Jesus died and rose again. So the disciples didn't have their sins forgiven yet, or they hadn't been covered yet. But he gave them authority to go and cast out demons. He gave them the ability to heal people and all this. Why? Because he also said, I want you to go out and tell people who I am. The kingdom of God has come. The Messiah is here. And he says, you go to a city, and they don't accept you? Wipe that dirt off your, your feet, right? Keep on moving. But if you go to a city and they, they hear it, then praise God because salvation has come to them. And so he sends his disciples out. While his disciples are out, the, the gospel narrative picks up and tells us something very sad about Herod uh, by John the Baptist. He was executed by Herod. While he was there in prison, Jesus told him, I'm not coming. And then Herod's daughter uh, had a, uh, or Herod's stepdaughter had a party. 
And uh, for her birthday party, she decided she wanted to do a cool little dance for, for Herod and her mom, because that was weird. But that whole family was a little weird. And Herod's like so impressed by his stepdaughter's dance. He's like, I'll give her whatever she wants. And then so she goes to her mom and says, I want John the Baptist's head. And now we have uh, Herod, which a little bit, he's like, I don't want to kill John the Baptist because I think he's a prophet. But he had pride on the line. So he's like, all right. So they execute John the Baptist and bring her his head on a silver platter. And of course, Jesus hears about this. The the John's disciples go and bury his body in a cave, and his ministry had ended, and he ended faithfully, and he has received a great reward. Uh, But of course, this hit Jesus personally because this was his cousin. And did Jesus have the power to heal him? Oh, yeah. And Jesus could have had him walk out of prison, could have sent his angels. Just because God doesn't move and just because he has a bigger plan doesn't mean he's not effective. And when we suffer, the Lord suffers with us but he also gives purpose in our suffering and helps us through it. So what are the things that we learned today? And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of ground we covered today, isn't there? First thing I want you to understand as we read the scriptures is that Jesus is misunderstood. Our culture doesn't get who he is. The disciples don't always get who he is, right? I mean, there are times that we misunderstand Jesus in our own life, his timing, his purposes, and all of this, that, that he is God, And one of the great things about being a disciple, just like it was with the disciples, is we continually have our eyes opened. If you are willing to have your eyes opened, you will have eyes and you'll be able to see. You have these disciples who are like, what? He can now stop the storms, (laughs) right? He can do these amazing things over and over. In Christ, I think you're going to find, as you follow him, there are going to be times that Jesus, he he just breaks your paradigms. He's going to show up and show you that that what you thought was too late was actually the perfect timing. That seeming non-answer was the perfect answer. That his absence was nothing like that. That he's always been there. He's going to, to reveal himself to you in greater and greater ways. This is one of the great things about following after Jesus. It's not like you knew Jesus perfectly on the day you were baptized. And so we grow and we continue to understand him more and more who he is. But understand this, the rest of our culture, and there are many out there who will misunderstand him, regardless of what is said. Jesus could be there performing miracles, and they just will misinterpret everything that he's done and try to explain it a whole different way. That's not new. It's frustrating, isn't it? But let's remember that you don't know the state of people's hearts. And sometimes just like that spontaneous seed. You share Christ, and they may have been unable to see before, but at some unknown time, the gospel will just make sense to them. So just because he's misunderstood doesn't mean it stops us from being able to go and to understand Christ and to follow after him and to serve him. Next thing we understand is that Jesus is misconstrued. He is. There are going to be people who are going to they're going to say, they're going to malign Jesus. They're going to, all the good things that he's done, even in your life, and you can say, look what Christ has done in my life. And they're going to say, Jesus is hateful. He's narrow-minded. He's not good. And everything you know about Jesus in the Bible is written by other people anyway. They're going to say stupid things like that. Guess what? It's not the first time. You even had the Pharisees out there. When Jesus was casting out demons, we're saying, now he's a demoniac. Do we live in a time where people say what is good is evil and what is evil is good? When people can look at Jesus and all the amazing things he's done and the fact of how you cannot explain history without him and him being alive and his death and resurrection and them saying, no, he never lived. 
There are people who will lie about Jesus because they choose not to understand him. They will be his enemy, and that's just the way it is. Don't let it shock you. It didn't shock Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, people are going to hate you on account of me. And they say all kinds of false things about you because you're saying all kinds of false things about me. So if you want to follow him, know this. You're going to be misunderstood and you're going to be misconstrued because your Lord is, but that's okay. Because the thing I want us to really get today is that Jesus is worth it. He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. He is the God of the universe who has come to save us. He is the one who can bring life from death. He is the one who can heal at any time, in any place, and anywhere. He's the one that gives us perpetual hope. He's the one who never abandons us. He's the one who can redeem any broken thing. Why would we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? Because he's worth it. Everything about Jesus is worth it. He saves our sin. He redeems our souls. He causes us to be part of his heavenly family. He gives us a place in the eternal while he gives us his Holy Spirit today. So yeah, will you be misunderstood? Yeah, because people misunderstand Jesus. Will you be misconstrued? Yeah, because people misconstrue and they say all kinds of bad things about Jesus. But that's okay, because he has you. And if you hear his word and you obey it, you follow it, you have faith and faithfulness, you are his child. You're in his family. And that is the greatest gift we could ever have. So how do we apply that? Well, if you have your connection card, there are a couple things that I want you to do. All right? On the back side of it, some things you could do. Why don't you memorize Matthew 16, 24? Because this is what Christ asks of. We're going to be his disciples. We need to deny ourselves, right? We need to take up our cross. We need to follow him. This is a perpetual thing. Every day we're, we're following him. We're saying it's okay that if I'm misunderstood. It's okay if people say bad things about me in a wrong way because I follow the Lord. It's okay because he's worth it. Well, why don't you read uh, like Mark 3 through 6? This is where a lot of that passage came from, right? The we were in today, so you can see a lot of that. Something else I'm going to challenge you to do is why don't you start praying? And we have our five. Remember our, our take five that we're doing, and I hope that you guys are doing that. There are five people we're asking you to pray for. Did you notice that there's more chairs here now? Which means there's room. But here's the thing. <laughs> You're not going to bring anybody to life. You're just supposed to share the gospel. You, you set it out there, but don't do that without including God. So start praying for those whom you want to introduce to Christ, for those who may need to know him or just need to have a good church home. So pray for them. Do that this week. And also, I'm going to challenge you to center on Jesus. That's worship. Let him be that center point in your life, in your time, with your abilities, with your treasure, with everything. Center your life on him. If you find that you're putting Jesus on the outside, like, like you're doing other things and you just have, you're giving Jesus your leftovers, he's worth a whole lot more than that. Follow Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, but follow him because he's so worth it and he will transform you. All right, I've given you all good things to do. I'm gonna pray for you because we went a little long and then we'll set you free. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your presence and your power. Lord, you come today in our lives to transform us. You come today in our lives to redeem us. You come today in our lives to use us, to bring glory and to share the goodness of your kingdom, your gospel, even to those who don't understand you yet. Father, I pray that you would empower us to be a people filled with not just faith, but faithfulness. Let us follow after you as we act as your very own children whom you made us. 
Lord, I pray that you, you help us as we keep these commitments that we've made, that they would bring you honor and glory, that they would draw our hearts closer to yours. We pray for our community and for our neighbors and for our family members who don't know you. God, would, you're the God who can make the blind see. You're, you're the God who can make the deaf hear. So Lord, we pray that you would open hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel, that we would see many come to faith and there would be a harvest, a harvest of salvation. And we lift all this to you in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.